So glad that you're here this morning. Uh, you've come on a good Sunday. This is part two of a series we started last week on the book of Ecclesiastes. Took a poll last week, both services. How many of you had ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? It was somewhere between 40 and 50 people had actually read the entire book. So we're going to try to raise that percentage in this series. So I invite you to read the book of Ecclesiastes. The whole thing, it's, it's, only, it's only a handful of chapters, okay? Um, sometime over the next few weeks as we continue in this series, because we're going to allow the wisdom of Solomon, remember who Solomon was, wisest man in the world, had prayed for wisdom, the Bible says that God had given him supernatural wisdom, remember he was one of the wealthiest men in all the world of all time, most scholars believe the wealthiest he was the king of Israel. He was the, the son of David, David and Goliath, David, David and Bathsheba, David. That, that was his dad. I mean, there was so much about this man that made him so successful, and yet he's like so many of our Hollywood stars and, and the rock stars of the world that said, it's all meaningless, everything is meaningless. And that's where we started last week. Is he said, hey, all this toil and all this pursuit of all of this worldliness and all of these things, actually, it's, it's vanity. It doesn't mean anything. And he reminded us last week of a struggle that we all have in life. Seems like we all come to this place at some point in our life. We say, what's the point? What's the point of life? What is the purpose of life in this world? And yet, we find our purpose in a relationship with God. We find that we are created to be worshipers and to draw glory to his name through what he has done for us and last week we learned that we look beyond the sun, right? He says that all the toil happens under the sun. We look beyond that sun in the sky into a glorious galaxy, a glorious heaven, and a glorious God. And that we need to live by keeping the end in mind. That's what we're going to pick up again today with another lesson. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. As always, you can follow along on your phone. If you have a tablet, an iPad, you can follow along there. Just download the Oakwood app. All the sermon notes and scriptures are there for you. You can also just open your Bible. And if you didn't bring one, grab that one that's uh, there around you in the seat and turn it to page 555. And you'll be right where we need to be this morning for Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12. As he tackles a very familiar uh, topic, if you will, but something that uh, I think is going to speak to our hearts and our minds this morning. So let's read here, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Notice how he starts, uh, for those of you who were here last week, it's going to seem like the same. He says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no one no end to all of his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. See, this guy was making money, and he had nobody to give it to, not a family member, not a friend, and he said, why am I doing this? The world says I need to pursue riches, and I've got them, but it's, what does Solomon sum it up at the end? It's vanity, it's meaningless, and it's an unhappy business. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm 
alone. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You see in this short little passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Solomon is speaking to this idea of relationships. That as we live with the end in mind, and as we live for something that is going to get us through this world, but get us beyond the sun and to eternal life, we do that in the context of relationships. Let me, let me say this this morning. We need each other. That's where I want to begin. The fact, it's a fact, that we need each other. We need other humans to get through life together. And this idea is a biblical idea. It's all throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament. In the New Testament. That man is not created to be alone. In fact, when God was creating in the garden in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and into chapter 3, as he's doing the creation in there in chapter 1, he says, you know, he creates the heaven and the earth. He says it's good. He creates the waters. It's good. He creates the animals. He says it's good. The fish of the sea, it's good. He says it's good. It's good. And he gets to the end of it, and there's one time he says it's not good. And this is what he says. It is not good that man should be alone. That's not good. Let me create a suitable helpmate for him, and he creates Eve. And from that time forward, we see this parallel that life is, is about a relationship with God, but also a relationship with one another. Jesus uh, summarized it by saying it this way, uh, that the law and the prophets are all summarized in two statements, and really in two verses. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God speaks to the vertical relationship that we're to have in this life while we're in this world, the relationship that will carry beyond, and then the one another, the love your neighbor as yourself, the love one another is the horizontal relationship on how do we conduct relationships to please God while we're here. And we're to do it in the context of relationships with other people. Remind me of a story, and if you know I'm a Christmas nut, Love Christmas, love the songs, love the decorations. Christmas could last a little longer for me, okay? And I know some of you are the Christmas annoyance people, and you, know, you just hate the music, and that only lasts, you know, for about 30 to 40 days, but my house, it starts in July, so if you're with me, talk to my girls, okay? So, but I was thinking about, you know, something with the story of a Christmas carol. You know the story of a Christmas carol, right? Ebenezer Scrooge, and you know. And in that story, as you get toward the end of it, and you start unpeeling back, you know, uh, all these layers of him, and what is this problem, and why is he not satisfied in life, and what's going on in life, as you, as you, as you kind of get to the end there, they would say that one of the problems that he had, and probably maybe one of his, his worst problems, was his love of money. That he pursued money and he pursued greed. He actually had in the story people from the city that actually came to him and said, hey, you have all this money, Ebenezer. Would you please grant it for an orphanage? So the orphans can have a home, they can have Christmas, they can have some food. And he said, no. And, well, would you give to this organization? And he said, no. And so he definitely was a lover of money. And the, you know what the scripture talks about, that we're not to be lovers of money. And, and so, but there's something else that he was missing. He was missing relationships with other people. Part of that was led out of his love for money. But part of that was, you know, he, with his own nephew, with his own family, with the people that he worked with every day, his co-workers, 
Well, the people that he, that he had, um, uh, you know, uh, would bypass on the street and uh, fellow business owners and, you know, people at the, at the civic club that he was a part of and, and all these stuff, he had missed all those relationships. And so when it came to his sad existence, it wasn't just about the money. It was about also the fact that he was absent from relationships. And when he has his three visitors, and if you know how the story goes, and he gets beyond that, he actually changes his ways. And what's the first thing he does? He goes to people. And he starts relationships. Mr. Bob Cratchit and his nephew and others. And you see this healing come because now he's open to these relationships with other people. I think that's a lot of what Solomon wants us to understand in really two ways, that it needs to happen now and here in this world. And he gives us several reasons there in verses 9 through 12 that we're going to talk about. But it also has to happen beyond that. You know, I told first service to a snicker, I said, just be careful who you like and who you don't like in God's church because chances are you might end up in heaven with them someday, right? You're going to spend eternal life with them. And so, uh, you know, I know that sometimes personalities clash. We don't click. We just don't get each other. But at the same time, we're called to love one another. We're called to, to have that relationship with one another, which I think is so vitally important. So let's unpack, and we're really going to hone in this morning on verses 9 through 12. Let's unpack here. You know, we need to do life together. And when we do life together, there's some benefits uh, for us. And I want to go over three of those with you this morning. The first one is this. When we do life together, we help one another accomplish much kingdom work. We help each other accomplish accomplish much kingdom work. And that sounds really good to us, right? Look what it says there in verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. That means that, that the word toil means the, the struggling type of work that they do. The two are better than one. Now, uh, as a dad, I would say that is so true in yard work. I mean, two are better than one. And I've got three daughters. I'd like to say four are better than one, okay? It's like, get out in the yard, get a rake in your hand, let's pick up these leaves. I got five oak trees in my yard. I used to have, uh, or actually I have four now, because I was going to say I had, I had one taken out. And it wasn't because of the leaves. It was just, you know, it was just ugly and it was in a bad spot, planted in the wrong place. But, you know, that's a lot of leaves, okay, for dad to do. And so I, I like to enlist. And so I'm always like, yes, it's productive. There's a good return for our work. But I think Solomon is alluding to something even more here. Because I think it's about kingdom work. If you're a believer in God and you love God, that we all are called into his majesty's service, right? We're called into the king of kings' service and we're to accomplish things. And sometimes that stuff just gets better done together. I mean, I can't tell you how many times working around uh, the church or the ministries of the church, all the arms and, and legs and all the different paths you can go, how being alone, yeah, you can accomplish something, but it's so much better when someone comes alongside of you and says, let me help. Let me help you lead this class. Let me help you lead these kids. Let me help and how that just enhances the ministry. Makes it better because now you've got two brains working on issues instead of one, right? But beyond that is what can be accomplished. When it comes to the kingdom of God, it seems like that always more is better. We're part of our kingdom mission is to fill heaven. And I think that's the point of church. I mean, right when Jesus um, is, is saying his final statements, his final teachings, and he leaves this world and he ascends to heaven, right after that we get Acts chapter 1 and 2. And we see the birth of the church. And the point is that the church, Christians working together, are better together and can accomplish more than them working individually. This is accomplished as a kingdom mission. And we lock arms with brothers and sisters in Christ and we fight for what God wants. 
And we fight against something that I would call mutual spiritual apathy. I think this is what's killing the church today, is a mutual spiritual apathy amongst believers. It really comes out of two, two, two veins here. One of them is um, we have privatized things to a point where it's like, that's none of my business. You hear people say that. Or maybe you've said that to someone before. They're trying to talk to you about your life or something going on, and you say, well, that's, that's none of your business. But according to Scripture, oh, well, there's a lot of business Christians share together. We do a lot of business together. When it comes to this life that we live in this world and this witness, this testimony that we're to have, remember Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, and you'll be my witnesses, you'll be the ones that are testifying for me. We read later that we are Christ's ambassadors, his representatives to the world. Yes, Christians do this together and it's very, very necessary for us to have relationships with one another so that we can speak truth into each other's life. So that we can glorify and edify not only the body of Christ in His church, but God the Father in heaven even more. And we make Christianity attractive to the world when we do these things. It actually becomes an attractive quality of look at those Christians. Because a lot of them will wear the title Christian, right? Well, we'll wear the title and say we're a Christian. When they look at our life, they see no difference. It's like, oh, they, they act the same way. They're, they're the same grumpy negative people that I am and all these characters that aren't Christians that I hang out with. And so there's no difference in them. And yet there's accountability and there's this camaraderie and there's this work toward a common mission, accomplishing the kingdom work of God. It's, it's interesting because of this uh, spiritual uh, mutual apathy that we have. Is it, is it, it's one of those things I think it's like plaguing us because of one way is, is you know, none of your business, stay out of my business, don't get too close to me. But the other way that it affects us, and this is something that, that I think is, um, is really, really hard, is that we don't have each other to teach and to learn from is that we, we, can't, we can't get together and get close to a brother and sister. And we think that we have to be perfect to speak into someone else's life. Now, there is a, a scripture that talks about that. In Matthew chapter 7, with Jesus, uh, when he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, so this is early in his ministry. In Matthew chapter 7, uh, he talks about how you confront a brother. And, but he, he, warns, he starts this section by warning you with this. He says, I call this the plank eye session. He, he says, hey, don't point out the, the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when you have like a two by four coming out of your eye. He says, first, remove the two by four from your eye so you can see clearly to see the speck from your brother's eye. And it's kind of a call to us. That, hey, before you go, you know, admonishing other people, it's like, let's check our heart and let's check our spirit and let's check our walk first. But isn't it interesting? There's an assumption here that Jesus, the Son of God, makes is that you would actually be in a place where you might be pointing the speck out in another brother's eye. That you might actually have this kind of relationship to where you are doing kingdom work together and you're wanting to make sure that you walk in a way that glorifies the Lord. That you're walking in a way where you can accomplish much kingdom work. And if this wasn't necessary, if this wasn't a biblical idea, the New Testament would be completely different. It would say, hey, come to Jesus Christ and walk that path alone. Do not talk to other people. Do not associate with other people. The gospel wouldn't go out. You know, that's God's plan is that we share the gospel with people, with one another. And yet, if that was the plan, that we would be alone there'd be no need for church. There'd be no need for relationships of any type. But I think by now we can all admit and shake our heads, yes, yes, it's in the Bible, it's very scriptural, Old Testament and New Testament alike, 
that we need each other, that we are called to do life together, and that one of the benefits of doing life together is that we would accomplish much kingdom work. And let me tell you what happens when a church does this. There's this attractiveness that happens that the world, they look at us and they say, wow, I kind of want what that group of people have. I mean, they genuinely love each other. Not only that, but they're there for each other. And they encourage each other. And they, I mean, these people, I mean, they really do act like what I've heard about from the Bible, what I've heard that a, that a Christian is supposed to be. And people stand up and they take notice when that church begins to serve the community together, when they, when they do a night, night to shine together and they lock arms with other churches and other people in the community and say, hey, look what the Christian community can do together. We can serve people with special needs. We can show them God's love. We can declare them the kings and the queens of the prom. And we do that with one another. We do that with the help in these relationships that we're called to have. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their toil. The second thing, when we do life together, we lift one another up through hard times and tempting times. Through hard times and tempting times. Look what it says there in verse 10. It says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. If there's two of them there, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Romans 12, 15 says it this way. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You see, that's what we're called to do as Christians. That's how we're called to live in relationship with one another, that we're there in times of rejoicing. And, and when something's going good in someone's life or there's a victory, we, we high-five. When we, when we lock arms together and we, we serve the Lord and we serve the community together and we actually shared our faith for maybe the very first time and we've had a friend praying with us about that, that, that conversation we were going to have and, and that we could come together and pray and, and have that kind of support. I mean, those things are amazing. It's amazing how God uses those things. But it's also, we're there for each other in the tough times. I think the reason he says, uh, woe to him who is alone, uh, right there in verse 10, is because he's declaring, hey, there's no Lone Ranger Christians. Solomon's saying, hey, it's better to do life together. There's no Lone Rangers out there. Because we need each other to get through life. Something that is interesting is our self-awareness. I feel like that sometimes can be better and sometimes it erodes over time. I think that's one of the reasons why there's so many scriptures, and we're going to talk about a few more here in a few minutes. There's so many scriptures that talk about how Christians, when they come together, are supposed to admonish one another and rebuke one another and encourage one another by you know, saying, hey, stay on the path. You know, stay on the path of righteousness and don't, you know, you see Paul all throughout the, the New Testament, don't fall away, you know, it's like stay on the path that leads to life, that is truly life. Do all of these things. It's because we're called to be there for each other in the good times and the bad. What Solomon's saying here is woe to you if you're alone and you fall. Sometimes that's in, that's in a, a, a time where we're going through a time of temptation, and I think the sad thing is that, is that if we're honest today, there's not many of us that have the type of friends that could have this kind of conversation with you. Hey, listen up, brother. 
I'm super nervous about this, this situation that you're in. And I've been praying about it, and I have a check in my spirit, and I don't know. I just don't feel like anything good's going to come out of this. So I want you to have your head up. I want you to be paying attention here. God, God you know, brought me this scripture that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. He is faithful, and he's going he's to always provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And so, you know, we just don't have that type of relationship with people. We don't have those types of friendships. I asked this in first service, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but when was the last time that someone had a conversation like that with you? When was the last time they warned you about a path you were about to go on, about a sin that you were about to commit? When was the last time they confronted you in the middle of your temptation? When was the last time that happened? And if you're sitting here right now and you're saying, wow, I, I don't remember the last time that happened, or maybe that's never happened to me, then I would venture a guess that maybe you don't have someone in your life close enough and honest enough. Sometimes we're close, but we're not honest. That's that's a sermon for another day. But sometimes we're close, we're just not honest. Close enough and honest enough to say, hey, I'm really worried about you here. I think you're heading in a bad direction. And I want to help you change it. It's those type of relationships through, through the tempting times. But we're also called to be there for each other in the times that are really hard, in the times uh, where it says weep with those who weep. Other, other uh, translations say mourn with those, those who mourn. Because here's the fact of this whole thing. Truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality. But love without some truth is hypocrisy. I don't know where I read that. I read that like 15 years ago and didn't write it down. But I found it in an old note. I thought, man, that's really true. And the way that... That culture would want you to live out your faith in your Christianity today would be to love without truth. Just love them. Love them and let them keep committing their sins. Love them and just let them go down that path of darkness away from God. Sometimes I think, what really is more loving? To allow someone to harm themselves and to harm their relationship with God? Or is it more loving to love them enough to speak some truth into their life? You see, we're not called, and I'm not asking you this morning to be someone's Holy Spirit. I'm not asking you to be their Holy Spirit. But I am asking you to be a voice of truth. If you know, especially by Scripture itself, that they're headed in a place that is nowhere good, they're in a relationship that's destructive, they're, they're going to make a decision at work that is not going to be good for their future, they're going to do something that is really uh, going to affect their integrity, then interfere. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 puts it this way. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, isn't it interesting that it says someone? It, it assumes that there's a, a Christian brother or sister there, that there's someone from the truth. So if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever, again, there's this assumption of a person, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. One thing that's interesting about that verse is that word wonders. In verse 19 and the word wandering in verse 20. If you read the original language, uh, Greek, which is what the, most of the New Testament was written in, you can actually find out that that word wonders means like a planet that's in orbit. 
and it's been in orbit for a really long time, and, and, and you can you picture that in your mind, you know, the solar system, the, the planets, and they're, they're revolving around the sun. It gives us this idea of a planet that falls out of orbit. It starts spinning out of control and wobbling, and it's gone. That's what the word wonder means. It's talking about someone who's wandering from the faith. It's talking about someone who's wandering away from God's church. It's talking about someone who's wandering from their relationship, not only with God, but with you, brothers and sisters in Christ. And as they've been in orbit for so long and they begin to wobble and they fall out of orbit, they begin to wonder, James tells us they're what? If someone brings them back, he saves his soul from death. It's talking about a spiritual death there. And will cover over a multitude of sins that would have been committed in the future. Like a planet that falls out of orbit, leaving its course out of alignment. So it is with a Christian or brother or sister that is struggling and wandering from the faith. And we're called by God to be in relationship with them, to lift one another up through the hard times and through the tempting times. The third thing this morning, when we do life together, we see the power and strength of spiritual friendships. We see the power and the strength of spiritual friendships. The bonds that keep us together. The love that we have. The service that we can do with one another. The gathering like we do this morning to worship God. I mean, I love that, that last song that, that Lori sang. It just, it just you know, it gives me this sense of that's what heaven's going to be like someday. Is that we're going to gather around the throne of God. We're going to see God in all of His might, in all of His power, in all of His glory. And we're going to cry out, holy God, you're so awesome. You're so different than everything else in life that I've ever experienced. Holy is the Lord. And we do that in the context of other believers. We do that in the context of these spiritual friendships. And there's power there and there's strength there when we live out what I call the biblical one another's. And I brought my phone because I just want to share a few of those with you this morning. And thank you for all the texts and the uh, Bible app highlights that I just got notified about. Um, no, I love that. I, I love looking at those after church. Um, not in the sermon. Anyway, uh, one of, one of the, the one another's from the Bible, listen, listen to some of these uh, biblical one another's. Uh, Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. We probably know that one. Love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Agree with one another so that there are no divisions amongst you. Serve one another in love. Be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Encourage one another and build each other up. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Do not slander one another, but love one another deeply from the heart. Offer hospitality to one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Greet one another. We have fellowship with one another when we walk in the light as he is in the light. Now that is in no way some exhaustive list of the biblical one another's 
But again, there's something assumed here. That to live that stuff out, you have to have relationships with other people. You have to have relationships with one another. If you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling lonely and you're feeling like, man, I don't have those relationships. Or maybe you're, you're a Christian here this morning you're like, you know what, I used to. Man, I used to have some really close spiritual friends. We, we always prayed for each other and we prayed for each other's kids and we spent time, to, time together and we would study. And, and that person that was my friend, they could speak the truth to me in love. They, they, could, they could share scripture with me that sharpened me. And sometimes it was kind of like, ouch, but it was ouch in love. Because I knew they cared about me, and I knew they ultimately didn't want me to, to, you know, grow up and be like, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge and be this crotchety old person, you know, that, an old coot that no one wants to be around, right? It's like they spoke the truth to me in love. And it's part of the encouragement of the saints that we read here. And it's amazing to see the power and the strength that comes from spiritual friendships where you can speak the truth to one another. And Solomon ultimately here is saying that it's not just under the sun that this is happening, but it's going to go beyond. It's going to make life here under the sun better when you share it with other people, but beyond that is heaven. It's the mission of God that he's called us to share the love and the faith of Jesus Christ with others so that we could fill heaven with who? With people. With God's children, the people that we come into contact with every day. But it starts here with the people in this room. And allowing someone here to sharpen you. To encourage you. To be there for you when you just need a hug and a prayer. To be there for you when you're starting to slip away. You're starting to to move backwards in your relationship with God. Someone who is actually going to tell you the truth. That will show you those spiritual blind spots. Because most of us sit here and feel pretty decent about ourselves. But maybe if we allowed that friend that really cared for us to speak the truth into our life, we could find out some things that we need to work on. And that with their help and God's Holy Spirit with us, we can overcome these things in life. And truly glorify the Lord in all things. I want us to close this morning by looking at the last verse of this passage. That there in verse 12. This is what he says. He says, though a man might prevail against one who is alone. In other words, if you have a one-on-one fight, yeah, you might prevail. If you're a little stronger than the other guy. But then he goes on, he says, but two, two will withstand him. Two on one, I like those odds. But he doesn't stop there. Look what he says then. He says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, some of you in your mind can jump to, yeah, the threefold cord, it makes sense if you know rope or twine, maybe you're a Boy Scout, you know how to do, you know, tie the knots and get things secure. That you, yeah, a two strand of rope, you can't even make that, I won't even stay together. You need that, that third cord to like weave it together. To make it strong to where, yeah, you can't break that. Three is always going to be better than two, and two is always going to be better than one. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. And that's true. If you have three friends together, yes, that's stronger. But what about this? What about you in a relationship with your friend? 
and you're both wanting to grow in Christ together, and you come, and Christ is in the middle, and as you come closer to Christ, you come closer together. And there's a strand of three that cannot easily be broken because Christ is in the center. And let me give you a little marriage hint today. Wife, husband, growing in Christ together, the strand of three cannot be easily broken. If you're struggling with that, chances are Christ is not in your marriage. If you have a friendship, it could be a family relationship, it could be a friendship, where Christ is not the center. Christ is not the pursuit. One person pursuing Christ is great. There's great benefit to that. But if one is not, what if that's what Solomon's telling us here? So we need to have God in the center. That He's the cord of three that will not easily be broken. And that's what these relationships need. We can't do it perfectly. We're humans. We, we have sin and we struggle. And yet, the strand of three will not be easily broken. Because Christ is the one holding it together. Christ is the one that's going to get you through. Christ is the one that brings you into likeness in your mindset. That your goals and outlooks on life would be the same because of Christ Jesus being in the center. And if you're not there this morning... And maybe you know that that's what's missing from your life is that relationship with Christ. We're going to sing a song here in just a minute. And we're going to invite you to come. We have a decision room over here with, with elders and staff and decision guides. And they would love to pray with you, answer any questions you have, talk to you about that relationship, relationship with God. Or maybe you just come over as a broken person that just needs prayer. Whatever it is, we're going to invite you to come. I want you to think this morning and reflect. If you have been through this message today and you feel like, man, there are no people in my life that would actually have the conversation like, I feel like you're moving in a direction that is not good. Like, I don't have anyone that close. Ask yourself why. And then I want you to turn to Christ. Think about what we've read today in, in Ecclesiastes and think really in light of the entire uh, Bible and Old New Testament about relationships. And think about, what can I do? to allow a spiritual friendship into my life that will speak the truth and love for me. And how might that draw me even closer to God? Because I guarantee you, if we'll humble ourselves and we'll do that, it's amazing what God will do. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you love us. And I thank you for the opportunity that we have, God, to be able to uh, read the Bible, to have the great wisdom of a man named Solomon. And even back, way back in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4, uh, probably written some 3,000 years ago. Such great wisdom and words of life for us today. Such great wisdom because it is absolute truth, Lord, that you called us to, to, to serve you together. Even, even as a church gathers this morning, Lord, we're called to build relationships with, another, with one another, to be close to one another, to serve uh, the world together, Lord. And it's so much better when it's together. And yet, Lord, it seems like the, the Satan wants to tear us apart. He wants to tear us apart from each other. He wants to ultimately tear us apart from you. God, there's sometimes I feel like these human relationships can affect that heavenly relationship. That we get so frustrated with other people that it can lead to uh, us drawing back from you. And so, God, I pray, break down all those walls this morning. Open us up, Lord. Give us a, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. And help us, help us to pursue you wholly. 
fully in our life. God, that you would break us down and rebuild us in every way so that we can live the life you called us to live in relationship with one another and with you in the center, binding us together as your church, Lord, because of the power of Christ Jesus. We pray it in his name.